Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. I really want to read all of Psalm 16, but I'm not going to read all of it. I think I'll start at verse 5. So you just going to hang with me. Let's just breathe in. Let's let his word wash over us. It says, The Lord is my portion. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. That is to su- thou dost support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Okay, if your mind is wandering, come back. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Can you say that? I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, for thou will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Neither will thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. verse 11 he says you will make known to me the path of life let's say that you will make known to me the path of life right here right here in your presence is the fullness of joy can we say that in Your presence is the fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. And so God, we just acknowledge that in your presence is everything we need. Not in our thinking, not in our logic, not in our intellect, not in our physical body, not in our emotions, but in your presence is the fullness. And God, we utterly rely on your presence this morning. We fully rely on your presence, knowing that your presence is full. Say that your presence is full. Your presence is full. All that I need is in your presence. And we ask you, Holy One, to rush in with the manifest presence of your glory in this place today. Our soul is desperate for you, O God, today. In your presence is fullness of joy, the provider of all we need. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel feel the leading to pray and speak about something very specific here for just a moment. Uh, Just grab your attention. um, I 
I believe that God has ordained the church, the body of Christ, to be His governing authority on earth. That means we should be influential. That means we should be influencing what's happening in our neighborhoods and in our county and in our city and in our state more than it's influencing us. But yet the enemy has worked really hard to silence the voice of the church in causing separation from church and state. That's never been God's intention. You are the ecclesia. You are the governing body on the earth. Is that okay? And within that, I don't believe that the church is called to just sit back and allow culture to change our children and our schools and our city. Come on, guys. Are you with me? I believe we gather corporately as the body of Christ to be equipped and to be empowered to go be the ecclesia outside and in the walls of the hospital and in the walls of the bank and in the walls of the school. Come on. I feel like you guys know this. I just felt like it's been really heavy on my heart ever since I, we began worship this morning. And maybe I'm just here just to encourage you. Some of you maybe have been feeling led. But I just feel like that, that we need godly men and women on our school board. We need godly men and women on our school board that can be there to be a vote to say this is not what we're going to be teaching our children. Amen? We need godly men and women in our schools. We need them driving our buses, and we do. Come on. We need them all over the place. Come on. We need them in the hospital. We need them in the banks. We need them in the retail stores. God, I believe, is going to elevate the body of Christ in places of leadership where they have greater influence to be a voice and not just sit back and let things begin to go by. Come on. I'm ready to step up. And so I'm just going to pray over that. I just feel like praying into that, a boldness, uh, into us as the body of Christ this morning. And then I just also want to pray over Miss Debbie Stevens. And I just want to recognize Miss Debbie because uh, Jed and Debbie for uh, I don't even know how many years now, eight or ten years that you've been, how many, how many years? Eight? Yeah. Uh, just go ahead and come down here, Miss Debbie. I'm just going to feel like praying over you and uh, hearing, hearing from the Holy Spirit. But uh, we have so many that are already doing this, and, and we're, you know, God's put, we've got teachers, we've got leaders in different things, and, but um, I just felt like recognizing Miss Debbie uh, and Jed of being spiritual leaders that carry the kingdom of God inside of them, that watched things in our local government being done not in the right way and instead of just saying man that's bad being willing to put themselves what they've gone through for these last eight or so years in local government listen pastoral ministry is difficult but i sure wouldn't want to walk in miss debbie's shoes 
in, in county government, man. I was, come on. I just feel like we need to honor this woman. I feel like we need to honor her sacrifices and Jed's sacrifices and, and them being willing to put themselves out there as, as children of God and in the authority that Jesus has given them to take on the battles and the scars and the arrows and the knives and the swords and everything else to be able to put themselves out there to be able to make a difference in our city, in this city, in Boonville and in Warwick County. Can we just honor her right now? Can we just thank her for her service and her willingness? And I don't see Jed, but I'm Jed. He'll hear about it. But I, I honor her. I honor her. Amen. We vote Tuesday. You vote Tuesday. Boonville votes Tuesday. And, and, and uh, so she's running for mayor. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. Holy Spirit will do that. But I just felt like as your pastor, I was just supposed to honor you. You're a, you're a forerunner. You go before where others are afraid to go because the path hasn't been made clear just yet. There's going to be others that's going to follow. There's going to be others that's going to follow. There's going to be others that are going to follow. There's going to be other men and women in this house that are going to follow into local government offices that can be a voice for the things of the kingdom that can uphold godly principles. And it's going to be easier for them because you two showed them that it could be done. You can show them that it was worth the battle. You can show them that no matter what the outcome is, you influenced and you made a difference and you held people accountable and things have changed because of what you've done. Things have 100% changed in this city and in this county because of what you've done in Jesus' name. I declare that. And some of it you're not even going to see for a while because it's going to come from the others that you've prepared the way for. You've already gone through with your axe and machete and you've chopped down trees where it looked like it wasn't even possible, where others maybe wouldn't have been able to step into that. You've made that way. To, now they're going to look and say, wait a minute, I can see where I can get there now because now I can kind of see the other end of it. And so I just want to honor you in your yes that you gave to the Lord. I want to honor you in your yes through the pain that you've gone through. And I just want to say that it is worth that you will never fully know on this side of heaven the worth that's been done in it. But the Father does want you to know today that it is beyond what you'll ever be able to conceive in this world. But there will be a day when you'll be able to look and you'll be able to see and you'll be, able to, you, you'll be willing to know that there was purpose in the pain in all that God took you through. And there's going to be such a blessing on your yes that you gave the Lord. And I just declare the favor of the Lord over you. And I declare open doors financially and even through other areas of success after this avenue that you stepped into. I just declare heaven is going to open doors for you because you've given God your yes. Amen. And I believe you're going to actually step into other trails where other trailblazers have trailed for you. And the next trail won't be as difficult as the last trail, saith the Lord. And I just release that into you now. And just the favor. But I just want to right now as your pastor, 
pastor, I just want to just declare the peace of God over you. And I just want to declare strength and energy because you can't run this type of race without, without, without weariness being a part of every step of it. And so I just declare that there's a supernatural grace that God's going to put on you. And even energy levels that's beyond what you could get upon yourself. It's just going to be a supernatural and just going to flood your heart with the joy and the peace. The outcome is in the Lord's hands because all He needed was your yes and you've given that. So where God takes it from here, it is just going to be so good no matter what. It's going to be amazing. And there will be a time in years that you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to see, now I know why this happened. Now I know why this door closed and now I know why this door opened. And every step of it, every step of it has been ordained to the Lord. And we just call that forth in you right now in Jesus' name. And I'd just like to ask some of our core leadership, if you would just come and lay hands on Pastor Jed and Debbie. Is it okay? We're just taking time this morning. I'm just going to bless them. And then and then I'm going to ask everyone else if you would stand up because after I pray for them, I'm going to pray for you. How many of you are willing to give Jesus your yes to a school board? Come on. To step into some position, some place, step into something to make a difference. Come on, man. I'm thankful for the parents that, that are pro-life, but they're not just pro-life by, by their voice, but they're pro-life with their finances. They're pro-life in fostering. Come on. They're pro-life in adopting. They're pro-life in whatever avenue it is God's going to raise the church up. He's releasing his ecclesia in this hour to be a governing authority and we're going to begin to make a difference in Jesus' name. Amen? So God, I just thank you for uh, for Jed and Debbie, God. I thank you for their yes. I thank you, God, for their yes. I thank you for their obedience. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, God. We thank you for what you've done in their lives, God. We thank you for favor. We thank you for blessing. We thank you for supernatural strength, God. We thank you for sharpening the axe that took the trees down that no one else was willing to chop down, God. But they never stopped swinging that axe, God. They have been trailblazers. They've made a difference. They're going to continue to make a difference, God. But what I see above all is that they have prepared a way that's going to make it easier for the younger men and women and children, God, in the kingdom of God, that you are raising up that's going to come behind them and they're going to sit in those offices, God. They're going to sit at the county level. They're going to sit at the state level, God. They're going to go even beyond that, God. And they're going to begin to be a voice that's going to uphold the kingdom principles, God, that Jesus died for. And so I just bless Jed and Debbie. I pray your favor. We declare your will be done. I declare supernatural strength and energy, God, over them right now. I declare the joy of the Lord, God, over them right now, God. Supernatural favor and wisdom and discernment and just the fire of the Holy Spirit consume them fully and wholly. Yes, God. Do it, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, thank you, thank you for an open heaven in your favor. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Now raise your hands up all throughout the house. God, we declare over children, lift your hands up. Come on, sons and daughters over this house. Jesus, we give you our yes. 
as nurses, as bakers, as, as factory workers, God. Lord, in every area of life of teachers, our mothers, God, they're going to make a difference in their neighborhood, whatever it be, God. We give you our yes, God, to be an influence, God. These young people are going to begin to influence their schools. There's going to be a shining light, God, in the midst of the darkness. They're going to be the ones that stand out, as John the Baptist did, that's going to declare, prepare ye the way of the Lord, God. There's going to become a holy boldness on them that say, no, I am not doing that. I'm not stepping into that. God's calling on me is greater than that type of thing. And they're going to walk in righteousness and you're going to declare them and you're going to anoint them to be breakthrough warriors, God. In Jesus' name, Lord, I bless this house. I bless these sons and daughters to arise up with the authority, God, to be willing to take the steps necessary, to pay the cost like Jed and Debbie did, God, to be willing to step on the front lines, God. Knowing that you're the shield, you're the shield. We give you our yes in this house, Lord, to make a difference in our nation, God. And if we're going to make a difference in our nation, we've got to make a difference in our state. And if we're going to make a difference in our state, then we've got to make a difference in our city, in our county. In Jesus, we give you our yes. We give you our yes in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone give the Lord a praise offering. Let's just thank Him. Thank you, Jed and Debbie. We honor you and we bless you. Amen. How are you all doing this morning? It is always a pleasure to gather together around the worth of Christ to lift Him up. And in the lifting up of Christ, we ourselves are brought into that light. We're brought into that restoring presence. We are washed. We are cleansed. We are healed. We are strengthened. And that is such a beautiful thing to be able to do that with all of you. Um, so I'm going to open up. Uh, I just want to share something. Uh, a month ago, I gave a message on shame, biblical shame. Um, I'm assuming most of you were here. Maybe some of you weren't. That message is available as podcasts on YouTube, Facebook. But in that message, I gave some off-the-cuff comments, and I want to speak into that. So in James 3, verse 1, it says, Let not many of you be teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. And then also in James 4, verse 7, it says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one, ano one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. 
But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? And I just want to say that the, the last time I spoke, I made a couple off-the-cuff comments about the charismatic church at large that were negative in nature. And I just want to say I'm sorry. For me, I, both Julianne and I, we, we, we carry a passion for the purity of the message that comes forth from pulpits. And we also, we, we listen, we watch, we read widely. Like, I, I personally, I've never been someone who's, who attends one church, I receive from one pastor, and that's it. We, we've, always, we've always read widely, we, we, we listen to messages and podcasts, and, you know, we, 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 we hear what's going on in the bigger church. And in, in most of the New Testament epistles, we see Paul and the other authors, we see them bringing correction to false beliefs and false doctrines. We see them occasionally dropping names of false teachers and, and, and again, like bringing correction. And I just want to say that for me personally, I don't know, I have yet to find that perfect wisdom in the Lord of how to navigate that. There are things that outside this church that I've witnessed and seen in person and I've listened to and read that are, that are concerning in, in the charismatic church. But I don't want to fall into the trap of an ungodly way of being judgmental. But I do want to labor for the purity of the message. I do want to feel grieved when I hear something spoken or presented in a way that doesn't honor the Lord or doesn't line up with, with the purity of the gospel. So I just, I, I, I ask that you would be gracious and that you would pray that I would find that biblical wisdom, that place of how, to, how do you, how do you hold the line, how do you instruct, how do you empower the body of Christ in the purity of truth not backing down, not just sweeping everything under the rug that we disagree with and pretend it's not there. How do we address things in a way that's humble, gentle, and truthful? That's my journey. That's what I would like to do. I would like to be able to navigate that better. So today, the topic is overcoming the power of shame. I want to continue in the vein of what I did a month ago. So a month ago, I spoke about many things. One of them was confidence in the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood, and then in verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. And the point was that we 
my confidence in approaching God is not based upon anything other than the blood. Because in the body, there's always going to be a, a dif different levels of experience and encounter, prophetic revelation of you know, prophecies over your life. and th There's always going to be people that have, have more of that or less of that. And confidence before God shouldn't be based on that. So that was one of the points that I was trying to make a month ago. And perhaps I could have done a better job doing that. And then I also spoke out of Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. It says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where then is the house you could build for me? Where is the place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, who trembles at my word. I highlighted this verse to say that this is the one that God is looking at. I said that the, the, the anointing that God gives us is not primarily for us to minister to Him. God releases the anointing so that God can minister to you through me or through you to me. Right? We minister to one another under the anointing. But as far as what God is looking for, as far as us approaching Him, it says to this one I will look to Him who is humble contrite and who trembles to be humble is to be marked by weakness and overwhelmed with need to be contrite means to feel the pain and sorrow for sins and to tremble at god's word is is that manifest fear of god and i was highlighting that to say that this is what god is looking for that sometimes we we feel the the need to bolster ourselves in confidence in other things confidence in our in our gifting confidence in anointing confidence in calling confidence in in, in all, all these other things and my the, the the point that i was trying to make is god said himself what he's looking for so maybe we should have the weight of what he said he's looking for be higher in our in our in the, in the way we evaluate our approach of him. And then I talked about Daniel and I talked about his his prayer before the Lord, how he spent most of his life in captivity. This was after Daniel in the lion's den, eighty years old, studying the studying the prophets. He sees that Israel's captivity is almost is almost over. And he makes that, he releases that prayer that was so shocking, where he says, God to me belongs open shame. And, I, and I, when I saw that phrase, I'm just like, God, where, where does that fit in our modern understanding? Where does that fit in our modern way of doing, of doing life, of doing church, of approaching God? And I, I teased that out and... I shared 2 Corinthians 7, 9. I will rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to repentance. For you were made to have godly sorrow, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For godly sorrow produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world brings about death. So I talked about how biblical shame 
and godly sorrow, they're pretty synonymous, but how that's a part of repentance. That's a part of repentance. If, if, I'm, if I allow myself to feel the pain of sinning against God or sinning against my brother, it's counterintuitive. If I allow myself to feel it, and then I put the cross at the center, then I can feel it for the last time. The feelings of shame can be broken. But it's actually a part of the repentance. And, and there it is in that, in that verse in James that I just read. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then there's this verse that comes, comes off a little harsh. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Be miserable and mourn and weep. That's the biblical shame. That's the godly sorrow. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. It feels like that is the wrong thing to do because we've lived our life often under the pressure of shame in, in, in a bad way, in, in the way that the, that the devil amplifies it and we don't know what to do with it and we just feel, we feel junky about ourselves and our past. So what do we do? We, we overcompensate by performing. If I perform, if I show myself to be amazing in this area, maybe you'll never see or you'll never ask questions, or you'll never notice the great weakness over here. So we go through our life hiding the shameful things, overemphasizing in pride and performance. We, we were tempted to overemphasize what we perceive to be the good in us, but we're not free from the shame. Because freedom from shame is that repentance without regret where I can look at my past I can share the testimony of my past and the feelings of shame aren't overwhelming me the gospel is to free us legally before the throne of God but also emotionally before each other we are to be free free from the weight of shame in Romans eight twelve through 17, it says, So then, brethren, you or we are under no obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit are the sons of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. This is an interesting verse, that last phrase, we are children and heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if we suffer. What is the suffering? What suffering is it talking about? If we are living according to the flesh, we must die. But if by the Spirit we are putting to death, the deeds of the body will live.
That putting to death the deeds of the body is hard. That putting to death the deeds of the body is suffering. That putting to death the deeds of the body, it hurts. It hurts the flesh. It hurts our pride. It hurts our confidence before man to humble ourselves and say, I did wrong. And we think that there's more freedom from shame by hiding the fact that we did wrong. We think there's more freedom from shame by sweeping every transgression under the rug and just say, I'm just going to pray in my head and ask a 30-second prayer for forgiveness and then pretend it never happened. But there's also freedom from shame through confession. How many of you know that? In Genesis 3, at the fall, Genesis 3, 1 through 13, it says, Now the serpent was made more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took fruit, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard, it sa- they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So we see shame. Instantly dominating their lives and their emotional makeup. They instantly went from purity of heart to blame shifting. They instantly went from unbridled fellowship with the Father to hiding, doing everything they could to hide what they had done. Because what they had done was shameful and they didn't know how to deal with the shame. They didn't know what to do. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? We take matters into our own hands. We reason with ourselves in the flesh. And we do our best to cover it up. In Revelation 12, 10 through 11, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night 
And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. I remember, maybe it was a year ago, Pastor Lori spoke. It's in the church promo video, a little clip, where she's saying, she's quoting this verse. She's saying, you know, Satan is before the throne of God accusing you. Remember that? That wasn't just a preaching point. It was, a, it was this scripture. So we have the accuser accusing us, not just in our ear, but before the throne. The accuser of the brethren, right from Genesis 3 all the way to today, the accuser of the brethren is screaming that accusation over you. You fell short. You didn't measure up. No matter how hard you try, you aren't doing it. You're not loving your spouse enough. You don't know how to say no to temptation. Just that constant barrage of the accusation of the enemy. There's a war. There's a war over what will be your foundation. There's a war over what will be the anchor to your soul. There's a war over what you will choose to believe. The, the last thing we want to do is say that there's unbelief in our hearts, right? I mean, that, that's a pretty hard thing to say. If, if, if I'm to present a truth, it's like almost instantaneously the, the natural man is like, yes, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. And it's this, this, this defensive thing of like, don't expose unbelief in any area of my life. Don't expose that I that I don't that I'm not that I don't know how to apply the gospel to this area of my emotional life or how to apply the love of God to this area of my my frame or when I think about my past when I think about what I've done. But when the dust settles and if I'm honest We've got to be able to say that where there is that tumultuous wrestle of that back and forth of hearing the accusations, feeling the, the weight of shame, and I don't know how to get free of it, there's measures of unbelief that I've got to be able to grapple with and say, okay, God, your word says, your word says that there's no condemnation. Your word says that if I'm in you, if I'm in you, if I'm in your hand, I can't just be plucked out easily. I can with great effort choose to walk away, but I can't just be easily knocked out. So the voice of the accuser is going to be constant. It's my choice to give value or weight to the words or not. To the one who doesn't know what to do, or who doesn't know the truth or has measures of unbelief regarding the truth, to that one, that voice of accusation will be loud and strong. It will feel dominating because he 
that Satan is, is, that's what he is. He steals, he kills, he destroys. He dominates. He wants us to believe that we are absolute pieces of junk, that we have never measured up, we will never measure up. So how do we overcome shame? Isaiah 54, 15 through 17 says, If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. So we know from Revelation that Satan is fiercely assailing us before the throne and in our ear if we'll listen. You know, it's like the tuning of a radio. That signal's going out. If I tune my radio to that signal, then I'm going to hear it. And if I turn the volume up, I'm going to hear it louder. So by God's grace, I can shut down the voice of accusation. Not, see, the, the world doesn't have an answer to shame. Hey, have you ever heard the name Tony Robinson? That super happy, smiley, positive thinker. Very, he's made a whole lot of wealth doing what he does. When asked... What does someone do with shame? He basically says there's nothing you can do other than try to overwhelm your thoughts and emotions with positive thinking and hope that it goes away. That's literally his answer. So that's, that's the world's answer to shame. If you can't cover it up with a rug, buy a bigger rug. If, you, if it won't fit under the rug... Just build something on top of it. Pretend it's not there. But God says, if anyone fiercely assails you, it's not from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. Because I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon from its work. I have created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their vindication is from me. I think a lot of times we make this practical about like my cousin Fred. I don't have a cousin Fred, but... Or, or my coworker, or what used to be my best friend, but then we had a falling out because of accusation. A lot of times we make it about that. And we say, no weapon formed against me will prosper. And I'm not saying there's not application there. But the primary accuser, he's literally called Ha-Satan, the accuser. The accuser. The primary accuser is Satan. The primary constant, it literally says, night and day. Before the throne, Satan is accusing you before God. So that voice of condemnation, that voice of shame, you don't measure up. You can't do it well enough. You stumbled and you should hide it. That voice of condemnation, God is saying by faith, no weapon that is formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that accuses me in judgment, will, you will condemn Let's bring it into the New Testament. Romans 8, 28 through 39. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He chose a long, long time ago. His plan for you is that you would be conformed, that you would be formed, that you would be fashioned into the image of his son. Can, 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 we, can we get faith in that? If, if, if God formed water to have a certain function, then what's going to happen? The function that God has preordained that water to do or to be the characteristics, it is going to do it. If God is preordained for trees to have the necessary characteristics to be able to be turned into lumber and paper and to build structures and to hold weight and to do all the glorious things that it does, if God is preordained for, that, for, for, for the, the end result to be that, then we can have confidence in God's ways, right? So if God has predestined us to be conformed to His image, then let's have more faith in the ability of God to form me into something that He's pleased with and not struggle in my faith saying I need to hide my weakness, measure up in the flesh, have shame, not know what to do with it, and just hope, hope I get through this. God wants us to put our faith in His ability to form and fashion us into the image of His Son. It says, So that He would be the firstborn among many brethren, and these whom He predestined He also called. Y'all have a calling. Those whom He predestined He also called, and these whom He called He justified. He justified that legal declaration when I talked about shame and condemnation, that condemnation, that, that legal declaration of having failed, like we got to own up and say we failed. But in the owning up and saying I failed, I'm entering into something beautiful because, I, because Jesus is saying, you're right, you failed. That was the whole point of me coming because you failed and you're now justified. So, though, the, so he... These whom He predestined, He called, and those whom He called, He justified, and these whom He justified, He also what? Glorified. He turns, he turns the ashes into something beautiful. He turns the epic moral failure into a testimony of His restoration power. He turns that thing that is dark and vile and He turns it into a testimony that inspires others to say, you got free, so can I. It inspires us. That Revelation verse, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's the legal part. I overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Without the blood... Without the blood, all I'm doing is playing tricks with my emotions like Tony Robinson. Just play tricks with your emotions so that you can be strong and confident and pretend that nothing is evil or dark inside your soul. But we, so we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We need the blood. We need that God's declaration of righteousness 
that imputation of righteousness. He gives to me what is not in me yet already, what I cannot produce. I cannot buy a big enough rug to sweep all of my mistakes under the rug to then pretend that I'm something that I'm not. So we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. See, this is the part that my heart's contending and saying, God, we need this revelation in the church. The word of the testimony. The word of the testimony. If you look back at past revivals, the the Jesus movement, unbelievers coming into the church, hearing what? The testimony of what God has done, what He can do. So what prevents the testimony? Shame. What is that dominating power that prevents us from saying anything negative about our weakness or our past or our failures or our stumblings, right? James says, we st- for we stumble in many ways. What is the thing that prevents us from talking about that? Shame. So if the devil can amplify shame in the church, then the devil can prevent the very testimony that releases the light, that spark in the human heart that says, oh, maybe, maybe I can get free from my emotional eating. Maybe I can get free from my self-hatred. Maybe I can get free from my porn addiction. Maybe I can get free from my anger. Maybe I can get free. We need the testimony. The testimony we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony. But we don't release the testimony until there's no shame. It says that, that godly repentance produces, godly shame produces, it produces a repentance without regret. Without regret. That means I can share my story. I can share the story of redemption that God has done in me without shame. We need that. Not just in one or two or three or this pastor or that pastor, but we need it corporately. We need to contend. This is a spiritual wrestle. We, we, We contend corporately. We say, God, deliver the body of Christ from shame. Because when there's shame, there's also that corollary of performance and pride. Because performance and pride covers up the shame. Performance and pride is is like that, nope, never done anything wrong. You've done something wrong, but I haven't. I've never, nope, nope, never, nope, 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 you don't even have to speak, nope, didn't do it, never done that. But the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. But somehow there's, there's, still that, there's still that thing of shame. It's like we haven't put all the dots together. There's still that thing of shame where it's like we, we don't want to expose weakness because it's shameful and we just, we've, we've, we've lost out on that promise of glory. If, if we have faith that God justified us, and we have faith that God will glorify us, and we, and we believe that we've all fallen short, 
then we can confidently throw our testimony around and lift up Christ in the sharing of the testimony and say, God transforms people, not just metaphorically, not just in generalities, but God really transforms people, real people, real marriages, real bitterness, real anger, real lust. He really breaks the power of it. And then it says, so they overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even faced with death. I think in the direct context, it's in the book of Revelation, it's definitely talking about martyrdom. But I also believe that there's that reality that freedom is also having that spiritual death that says, you know what? My aim isn't to cover up everything I've done. We've all fallen short. God's a redeemer. There's power in the blood. If God says there's no condemnation and, I, and I've been under condemnation, then in humility I say, God, something's wrong. You say there's no condemnation. I feel condemnation. So in humility we come, we come and we say, hey, I need a little help. I need you to wage war with me. I need you to impart truth to me. I need you to pray with me, pray for me, so that this demonic stronghold can be broken off of me. In Isaiah, there's a verse that talks about how people run to a stronghold of lies. They run to a stronghold of lies. To the natural man, that, that, that's, that's what's normal. What's normal is denial. What's normal is sweeping it under the rug. What's normal is pretending there's, there's no failure, there's no weakness there. I don't want a stronghold of lies in my life. I want a life free of shame. Embrace godly shame in the, in the process of repentance, and then never again. And then the shame is gone. You embrace it for a moment. Allow the work of God to work that, that true, deep repentance in the heart, and then we're free. Like surgery hurts. Like I, I can either avoid the scalpel my whole life, or I can say, God, do your work. Expose what you need to expose. Heal what you need to heal. Rebuke me where I need to be rebuked. Correct me where I need to be corrected. Instruct me. Instruct me, God. I don't I like I I want to have I want to have the right understanding of everything, but I probably don't. My wife's loving this. That humility. Freedom from shame is the embrace of humility, of saying, God, it's real. The, the accuser is accusing. The accuser is trying to amplify shame. But freedom is in the cross. So in Romans 8, it continues on, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? That is such a powerful verse. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who will do it? 
Who will bring a charge against God's elect? We feel shame. We feel condemnation because of failures that are real. Struggles that are real. Addictions that are real. Some of them overcome. Some of them still ongoing. We, f- we feel that. But God is saying, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. If God is the one who brings that legal declaration saying the, the, the beauty, the perfection of the cross of Jesus walking sinless, that was enough to remove the condemnation. Who is the one who condemns? It says, Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is also intercedes for us. You feel lonely? You feel like you don't have a, somebody who's praying for you? Jesus intercedes for you. The disciples were like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Why? Because He knew how to do it. Jesus is praying for you. The, the truth, the reality of these things needs to be so much louder and brighter than that voice of shame. Who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. So does Satan fall into that category? Does the accuser at the right hand of God who's accusing you night and day, does he fall into that category? It says none of these things will be able to separate you from the love of God. So freedom from shame is is saying, God, you say that nothing can separate me. So free my emotions. Free my mind. Free free the memory. Free the trauma. Remove the things that that are weighing me down that are not gospel-centered. Isaiah 61.7 It says, instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. Instead of shame, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, there will be what? Shouts of joy. Is is our sin so dark, so shameful, so powerful that before God, I'm saying, that's not true. Am I, am I allowing the accuser to speak so loudly that I'm saying, God, you say that shouts of joy are mine. Shouts of joy are my inheritance. The Bible doesn't say shouts of joy are the inheritance of those who have never stumbled. It doesn't say shouts of joy are the inheritance of those who have never been addicted to nothing. 
The Bible does not say shouts of joy are the inheritance of those who have figured out how to live perfectly and who have never missaid anything, who have never been prideful, never, never had anger, never been whatever else. Shouts of joy are the eternal inheritance of all of the redeemed. We are to be overwhelmed, overwhelmed by what we obtain through Christ. Not overwhelmed by everything that we've done imperfectly. Not everything that we've pursued in sin. I am overwhelmed for a moment. That godly sorrow, that biblical shame. I'm overwhelmed for a moment the reality of sin. And then I enter into everlasting joy. And then I enter into a repentance without regret. Isaiah 45, 17. Israel has been saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. You will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. It doesn't say that Israel earned their salvation by performing. It doesn't say that they just did enough good things to outweigh the bad. It doesn't say that they looked in the mirror and they prophesied how amazing they were. And they they said it loud enough to dull and to decrease the voice of condemnation and shame where the enemy is accusing us. The enemy accuses us before the throne of God. Why? Because there's actual transgression and sin in here. I mean, the devil amplifies things for sure. He is a liar for sure. But there's also real sin. There's also real shameful things that we've done. Shameful things that we've hidden. Shameful things that we've pursued that we wouldn't want other people to know. But God is saying to eternity, we will not be put to shame. Romans 8, 1-4, through 4, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So my only aim should be to get in Christ. Get in Christ. If you don't want the condemnation, get in Christ. Plead the blood, get in Christ. Confess. Feel the weight of, of the, the pain of, of, of sin. Confess it. Renounce it. Repent. And enter into the joy of your salvation. I will end with this. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Craig, if you want to come up. That's the truth right there. Overcoming shame, freedom from shame. He, God made us alive together with Him. Not by performance, not by hiding enough. He cancels the record of debt. How many of you know you each have a record of debt? A record of debt. All have fallen short. None have done enough good. 
the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's it. He nailed it to the cross. So when we feel that shame, we can confront the enemy and say, update your records. Update your records. The new copy is on the cross. The updated copy of the record of debt against me has been nailed to the cross. Update your records, the accuser. I've got a fresh copy. I am in Christ. I am a new creation. There is no shame in the fact that I was unable to obtain salvation in my own strength. There's no shame in the fact that I couldn't have done it perfectly. There's no shame in the fact that I get behind this pulpit and sometimes say things in the wrong spirit. There's no shame if I come forward and say, God, help me. Help me do this. Teach me how to navigate this. There's no shame in the lack of perfection. There's glory in the cross. There's glory in, in, in God saying, I've redeemed you. I've chosen you from before the foundation of the world. I knew you. I want you. God sees the record of wrongs that you have committed. The ones you've for forgotten, the ones you can't forget. He's seen all those record of wrongs, that record of debt that stands against you. And God still says, I choose you. So come into the inheritance of everlasting joy. No shame from your past. No shame. No shame from your past. Devil, you're a liar. I overcome you by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I will testify of that which is true. And that which is true is that there is a new copy. There's an updated copy. That list of transgressions against God, it was nailed to the cross and it's null and void. So if you want to come forward and just release that to the Lord. Confess before God and receive that freedom. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from shame. Shame from your past. Shame from your present. Bring it before the cross. Get, get the record updated. If you want to do that, I welcome you to come forward. It's just a step of faith saying, God, this is a war, and I wage war against shame. I receive the truth. I receive the Word of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is. So I just invite you to stand. There is freedom. Just respond in your heart to the Lord. And if it's not you, if you, if you feel free of shame, then in your heart contend for your brother. Contend for your, the, the person to your left or to your right. So God, we cry out. There is freedom.
Give us that fullness of freedom, God. Fill us with that eternal joy of transgressions being forgiven. We love you, God. We have acceptance because of your choice of us, God. God, restore us into the joy of our salvation. If you're tired, thirsty, there is freedom. Tired, thirsty, there is freedom. Oh, freedom reigns in this place. Showers of mercy and grace fall in on every face there is freedom Jesus reigns in this place showers of mercy and grace fall in on every face there is freedom father we pray that you would unlock our testimony god i pray right now lord that you would remove all shame from the past that you would unlock our testimony god so that we can boldly share it with one another with unbelievers god so that we can be have that freedom from shame and turn it into something profitable for the gospel to go forth in Jesus name Amen be blessed be released Jesus name thank you for joining us this week Until next time.